Welcome to the Apologetics.com radio show, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. I'm Harry Edwards, your host for this evening, and joining me in the studio live in person are my good friends, Dr. Jacob Daniel. Hello. Hi there. Hello. Yeah. You weren't with us last time. I was not, but yeah. I'm here You're today. here now, in the flesh. <laughs> and uh, Lenny Esposito. Good morning. Glad to be here. Yeah, I, I, I'm always thankful. I, I feel like I'm one of the most blessed guys because I get to do apologetics with you guys and talk about uh, apologetics issues, which is kind of like what we like to do. And so if you're listening, we are live, and uh, we invite you to give us a call. Uh, and that number is 888. I actually don't have my notes with me. Oh, yeah. 888-995-5552. Or if you forget, that's 888-995-KKLA. We're going to be talking about um, something that's actually hard to talk about, which is, and we went through several iterations of the title, did we not, gentlemen? Yeah, we did, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I think we landed on oh, whatever is on Facebook. Yeah, uh, the, ascent. the ascent of porn and the descent of culture. There you go. Right. That's, that's what we're landing on. Uh, we had like a dozen options. And the reason why it's hard is because there's a large segment of culture that still respects the power of sex and um, it, it, and is held to a, a different and higher standard. So it it's a little hard because we're at a crossroads right now where porn is the norm, mm. but it you know but we're getting divided over that, right? I mean, there's the the porn culture, which is really hard to imagine that it actually exists, and then there's still the traditional people with traditional values and. Uh, I want to mm. say that that's part of us, but <laughs> but but even the people of traditional values uh, have more access, easier access to porn, and are taking are partaking in it. Even they found that up to four out of five active Christian men, active wow. church Christian men, are engaged in some kind of pornographic. Um, the access. majority. Yeah. Wow. At, 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 at yeah. some point, yeah. Some point, yeah. And also, whether it be justified to say that we are traditional enough that we are now allowing for premarital sex, if it has been normalized. Yeah. yeah. Though well, we might even, be some traditional about right. porn, right. but on other things, we are not as traditional as we used to be. Yeah, that's true. And we're no longer shocked at divorce, at no-fault divorce. Right. In fact, it's not even... Uh, weird to think that even elders and deacons are divorced. And it's not a big issue. Nobody bats an eye anymore uh, in some churches. In some churches. <laughs> I'm not saying it's your churches, but in some churches. Yeah. You know. Um, whereas maybe a few generations ago, that would be uh, a big source of shame uh, for many reasons. But if you are joining us and you're curious, you know, we do the show here every last Saturday of each month, and we have been tackling Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to Sexual Revolution. So chapters, Lenny and I, we did chapter seven, now we're doing chapter eight, The Triumph of the Erotic. And I feel like the author... Carl Truman has done a masterful job of 
and I keep mentioning this, uh, setting the um, intellectual or academic framework for how we can understand the pornification, I'm going to call it, of America or of the West. Uh, So that's really his project is how did we get here? And uh, I'm borrowing this from Truman here, but um, the, the first question I want to tackle, and maybe it's worth considering, is this question. How did we get from having the Rolling Stones change the lyrics of let's spend the night together to let's spend some time together in order to perform on the popular Ed Sullivan show to now Miley Cyrus sex act with a microphone at the Glastonbury Festival. Uh, That is really the question. Why, how is that that we're no longer shocked by that? How did we get, so I'm asking, how did we get here? The book is asking, how did we get here? So we're like chapter eight, and this is like the almost, this is toward the end now. This is toward the end. And uh, I think Carl Truman, uh, I, I love chapter seven and eight. This is perfect. And we'll talk about, obviously, chapter eight, the triumph of the erotic. So, gentlemen, what, what are, maybe, maybe you can lead us through this uh, genealogy of ideas uh, that has led us here. Well, originally, again, Truman starts off with the idea that we've moved into a psychological man, uh, as Philip Reif would put, that that our ideas of success, of uh, attainment, are based on what we internalize, what we internally understand ourselves to be. And that's a, a, a drastic break from all of human history, where mostly, whether it's through the measuring against the church's standards, measuring against the standards of the polis, or measuring against the standards of economics. You all measured yourself against the society as a whole. Now you're measuring yourself against your own desires. Freud obviously plays a huge part in this kind of shift. And what Freud does is not simply say that your inner feelings, your inner desires are real, But he also says that you as a being are primarily sexual in your desires. It's it's the hidden sexual tendencies that undergird your motivations. And the 20th century artists and others who, who are grasping onto this, they like that idea. And while Freud, even today, if you, you know, nobody lies on the psychoanalyst's couch anymore. That, yeah. that Freudian psychoanalyst, uh, analytics, everybody says, give me a pill for that. They don't say, you know, tell me about your yeah. uh, relationship with your mother. <laughs> they, that, that's not how you, you conquer uh, schizophrenia, right? Right. Uh, but this idea seems to have stuck, the idea that we're sexual, and nobody seems to be questioning that our sexual proclivities and desires are somehow not simply part of who we are, but the the primary force yeah. of who we are. And, and, and he's saying it's also repressed. 
That, Freud it, would say it's yeah. repressed, and but Freud said it that repression was necessary right. for society for to civil function. society, right? And then the Frankfurt School and these guys came up and said, no, 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 you need to free that. That's right. That's right. It's the he, they turned Freud on his head, right? In, in the couch says. of revolution again. That's where we yeah. get Marx, Marx, right? Yeah, joining of Marx, Marx and yeah. Freud, right? Yeah. Uh, and to to kind of touch upon that i would also say that there's an attempt i think lenny we were talking about this the other day during the podcast that if you go all the way back to the genesis uh, one of the key notions there is that adam and eve didn't have any shame between them mm. because of that intimate relationship that which they had but because of sin we see that shame kind of enters into their Right. Uh, understanding. So I think the attempt in our culture today is through the way of catechism, the way culture catechizes us. The attempt is basically to remove all kinds of shame in any kind of sexual intimacy. Right. So there is, so for that to happen, you have to remain all constraints around sexuality. As you mentioned, Freud understood it to be the basic nature of human being. If it is basic, it's only when it gets expressed, you can truly be authentic. Right, uh, and back to yeah. Rizzo again. Yeah. Yeah. That that uh, our natural man, the natural the man. Natural there, man. Our, our real authenticity is uh, what maybe you can imagine a young child to be. That's we're, we're letting our I- uh, inner child out. Yeah, yeah, and that's the real us. So I guess if you look at a child, they're innocent and they're uninhibited. So, uninhibited, yeah, yeah, uninhibited. That that's how we should live life. Uh, like you were saying, no constraints. Yeah. <laughs> so isn't it interesting that one of the critiques that we hear especially from women today, is that men won't grow up. They refuse to grow up. Well, yeah, that's the whole point of today's culture is to be infantile in your responses. Take whatever I want, right? Right. I want food, so I slam my face, fist on the ground. I say, I want food, give me food, give me food, give me. That's what a child does. I want sex, give me sex, give me sex. And we're being infantile in all of these aspects. We always have these images of... 34-year-old men in the basement of their mom's house playing video games all day, right? Exactly. (laughs) And I think uh, if you look at Freud's understanding of the whole appetite and instincts, and so if we look at that, I think that's, we are basically in some way confirming what he's Mm -hmm. been pointing at. And in so doing, what we're adopting is the whole idea of presentism, the idea that I have to have pleasure now, Mm. right? right? Without any consequences, without any kind of responsibility to be taken or commitment Yes, uh, that would right. involve a long-time relationship. That's why we are in a culture where there's so much of attack on marriage because marriage is the first basic unit of authority that puts constraint around sexuality, right? And that's why what, exactly what we are seeing in culture, how it is being attacked. Yes, yes. That's why at least the three of us were very concerned about this, and uh, hence the move toward cultural apologetics. I believe what we're doing is... Uh, what I'm hoping a lot of our colleagues uh, are doing and addressing some of this stuff because Jacob, you and I were talking about how our world today, just going back eight years ago, seems totally, totally different. I mean, of course, there's the pandemic. There's a little bit of the recession that happened there. But um, it's unrecognizable. Um, And you're right. I think the greatest danger right now even in, in an apologetic sense, is the destruction of the family. Yeah. Through, again, the sexual revolution. That's why Carl Truman is helpful here. Uh, let, I want to move to uh, the main topic of this chapter. And um, we know the sexual revolution didn't happen 
all at once. Um, again, that's like the frog in the kettle. I mean, movements just don't happen all at once. Um, so we know it happened slowly, and um, there's a sneaky way in which this happened, and we want to talk about this. And it really invaded our culture. The, the whole pornography, the, the acceptance of it, invaded our culture th- through the arts, namely surrealism. So we want to talk a little bit about that. What, what was that period in art history like? Maybe somebody can give a, a quick definition of surrealism and, and who so, are the main uh, actors there? Yeah, the, uh, surrealism is, is interesting. And, and Trubin says this, is, this isn't simply the only way. Obviously, there were many different v- avenues, but this is a clear-cut example of what, how we see the arts being uh, co-opted and leveraged for, to a specific end. Before Surrealism, you had Impressionism. So primarily, the arts used to be folks like Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, even Raphael. You, you would paint images that would be more or less something that you could identify right. easily. Depict reality. They would depict yeah. reality. They would do so in a very skillful way. They would try to raise the idea of humanity or, or, or picture the best of what humanity is or at least illustrate the bad and why it's bad. So you think Dante's you know, Inferno and things of this nature. Then Impressionism came, and that took realism a step removed. It was how I perceive, and it's, 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 it's meant to evoke feeling more than idea. From Impressionism, we, we had a move into uh, illogic, Dadaism, but we also had a move into Surrealism. And Surrealism was, uh, and uh, um, Andre uh, Beton was uh, the kind of the father of Surrealism in the 1920s, where they took the idea of letting your unconscious mind loose. So the even if the images were painted in a realistic manner, they made no sense. They didn't. And of course, the, the most famous surrealist painting is Salvador Dali's The Persistence of Memory, which shows, you know, melting clocks and fishes in the middle of the sky and, and you know, people not yeah. f- just weird well, landscapes. Based on dreams. They were big yeah. on dreams. Yeah, so, Again, the idea of not having any constraints yeah, around right. what, what you can achieve or what you can think about. To be real, right? And so, and so, what they did with this surrealism? First of all, uh, Bitton uh, was a Marxist. He had joined the Communist Party. He must have been not a very nice guy because even the communists kicked him out. I don't know <laughs> what's going on with that, but uh, but he also wanted to tie in Freudian concepts because there was a licentiousness to it as well. And a lot of the surrealist things you you see, um, kind of more vulgar nudity. Uh, men portrayed with noses that look like phalluses stuff like that starts creeping in as well and the the whole point is to not only evoke feelings of which of course you'll have sexual feelings in your unconscious but to show that this is a higher plane of existence to let these things out in the open which we would have normally repressed is is the most intellectual way that you can approach. And if you don't understand it, it's not dirty. It's, it's, it's 
more thoughtful because it's probing those things uh, that which we dare not speak, you know. Right. And so that's that's one of the ways that surrealism kind of smuggles in the sexual ethos by holding up this very high standard. And of course, most of the people, while they wouldn't, you know, in the 20s and 30s, they wouldn't necessarily buy a pornography book. Although it's interesting if you study early film, early film had a lot of pornography in it. And it was the film standards board that came in in the late 1930s, early 1940s that put the kibosh on a lot of that. Hmm. But most people wouldn't bring that into their homes. But with surrealist art, it was abstract enough to where they could put it on their walls and, it, and their friends would come over, and of course, the highbrow people would say, well, you see how intelligent and affluent yeah. I am. You see how, how above the, the common man I am, because I have this surrealist art, and I can understand it. And, it. and it gives an air of legitimacy to crass ideas. And I think with surrealism, the danger is that while you are concretizing your conscious, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, your dreams, in your dreams, you don't have any consequences of hurting the others, right? right. In your dream, that's your not possible. Dreams are selfish by their nature. Yeah. yeah, whereas when it translates into concrete expression of that in culture, if, even if it's through the means of arts, we need to be understanding that we are all breathing the same air, and that does have consequences. Yeah. That's why we are talking about this today, that as to how this idea can actually lead society to a place of degradation. Right, right. And so those are the dangers that we need to look out for because... As you would say, Jacob, one of your favorite words, it's catechizing us, you know, yeah. or baptizing us into a new um, social imaginary, as Charles Taylor yeah. would put it. Uh, and it happens slowly, and many times it is unconscious. Uh, so I, 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 want, I want your comment on this one. So we have a ministry friend, his name is Vishal Mangawadi, and... He had this uh, brilliant Facebook post uh, a few months ago, and I'm going to read it. I want your reaction uh, on it. He said, Billy Graham saved souls. Playboy Hefner discipled the nation. Both succeeded. So what do you think he means by that? I think in terms of uh, our approach to life, Christians have turned into schizophrenic existence where we concern our salvation merely concerns with spiritual matters in terms of saving the individual and nothing beyond that. And that's where the danger is. Uh, we should be understanding that we are not completely against the idea of being uh, uh, spiritually. I mean, that's where it begins. I mean, we have to have salvation and it has to be begin from uh, reformation within, but it has to translate into everything. Uh, Christ for all and all for Christ kind of, you know, it, it, it permeates all spheres of our existence. What we've done is actually we limited our gospel only uh, in the salvation of the individual and their soul, but we never translated that into our cultural products. Right. Whereas in the secularist, right. yeah, took over that realm and did well. And with Hugh Hefner, for example, you know, he, he definitely was successful in discipling the nation, which we failed in. So, like for instance, with uh, Hugh Hefner, in a in a except with magazines, uh, he kind of did what surrealists did with their paintings and right. their art. And uh, I, I know um, Truman covers this, uh, but 
Yeah, everybody it, used to say, well, I only buy Playboy for the articles. For the articles, right? Yeah, sure. The, yeah, right, that, was, right, that right. was always the standing joke. And, and the thing is, uh, the reason why they were able to say that is because the articles were really uh, – uh, top notch. Some of them were. Some of them Some, were. So, so he would mix. He would mix the sublime and the profane. Is exactly right. what he would do. Right. Because I mean, it was part of the strategy. Yes. And Truman absolutely. talks about that. Right. It, so so that you can make it common even among those right. who may not want to buy it just for the reason that it is showing some naked pictures there. Right. right. So so let's, let's 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 go back to the the whole idea of the dream. Okay. Uh, here's a common dream that we all have. Everybody's had it. At, one point say so you're you're going walking into your school or your business meeting or whatever and you find that you're naked you have no <laughs> clothes on right everybody's had this and there's a sense of embarrassment in that yeah usually those dreams are fostered where because there's there's some kind of feelings of inadequacy that you're dealing maybe you're dealing with a project that you can't get hold of but you know most psychologists would say that that that's just it's the emotion showing itself in a concrete way but Breton and this realist say, well, how can't we use that then to solve life's problems? Well, there's a couple of questions that you would need to, to answer. The, the Christian would say, well, what is it that's making you embarrassed? And how can you conform your efforts better to society's understanding so that you can overcome those? Or you could take the Freudian way and say, what if we just made nudity passe? And everybody can be nude, and then you'll never feel embarrassed. You see, there's, there's two ways to solve that problem. And what the surrealists are trying to do is they're trying to make the sexual aspect normalizing it enough in order to make the, uh, the person not feel bad about himself anymore. But in reality, if, you're taking a, if that actually happened to you in reality, there would be consequences for you. There would be consequences to those... To whom you've exposed yourself, right? There will be other other people's reactions, and there, they could actually uh, be stigmatized in their own right. Yeah. And, and but we don't think about that in the dream, and that's part of the problem right. of the process. <laughs> and, right. and within the church, it has had a consequence as well. Uh, we have completely abandoned a term. Uh, let me ask you: When was the last term, time you heard anything on modesty? Exactly, yes. Right? When was the last time we had, if not sermon, at least a discussion? You know, even today, if you talk to parents, they're absolutely scared to talk about modesty to their children. What has happened? You know, so what, by adopting this idea of surrealism uh, and translating that into our cultural products, what we have done is actually abandoned uh, the whole idea of what it means to be uh, being uh, uh, with value that has to be preserved and maintained uh, with reverence, uh, not just your own, but also the other. Well, as Truman would say, the key thing to understand about surrealism is the individual authenticity. Uh, again, it's back to the self. It's back to the self. So whatever makes you feel good, that is your guiding principle. So I know... Um, in typical philosophy, right? That's relativism. Uh, so this is couched in uh, a little bit on the uh, maybe the art form of that. So, all right. Um, I think that's great insight from Vishal. You know, uh, like you were saying, Jacob. We just focus on the soul. Um, we're almost like the reverse of 
uh, surrealist, you know, where it's we're just focusing on this one dimension, which is the soul, when really salvation extends to the whole thing, all of creation, right? We're, and we're part of that creation. So m- maybe that's going to be a topic for another show. How did we get there? You know, how did we get to be little, I'm going to call it little Billy Grahams? We're just, mm. the church, uh, missions, everything is just about yeah, fire, saving. Fire insurance. Right, yeah. right, fire insurance. That's In it. fact, the Great Commission, right? Yeah. We we f- keep forgetting. I know we, we say preach the gospel, but no. What's 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 bigger than that is making disciples of nations. Preaching is part yeah. of that, yeah. but we need to make that top and teaching and front them center. all that Christ has yeah. taught us. Yeah. Here's a great example. First Corinthians twelve is a famous uh, chapter that talks about being parts of the body, and and you have the eye saying to the ear and things of that nature, right? Uh, but here, verse twenty three is fascinating because Paul writes, "Those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable." Now, what is he talking about there? He's talking about the areas of the body that we cover for modesty, right? right? He's talking about the genital areas that we deem less honorable, that we deem less presentable. But listen to what he says. He says, those less presentable members become more, much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. In other words, we cover those areas because they actually have more honor. They serve a a, a, a more important purpose, and part of that purpose is modesty, is humility, and a recognition that we rise above merely the function of those things. Whereas the face or the hand, those can be exposed to the public all we want, and we don't have to worry about them. And I've never, ever heard a sermon on that, hmm. ever. Right. And it's a, it's a fascinating scripture that I don't think most people have even thought through. So so there's an example of how the church fails to catechize on issues of modesty and on issues of sex, where the Bible clearly teaches it. Right. I know we have a few seconds left, but um, uh, at the second half hour, we're going to be talking about the effects of porno- pornography, the, obviously the bad effects of, I don't think there's any good effects of pornography. So don't listen to that Lutheran pastor who thinks that there are uh, good effects. But anyways, you have been listening to apologetics.com radio, and we have been discussing chapter eight of Carl Truman's book. We will be right back after a few messages. The mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to apologetics.com and click donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting apologetics.com. There's no better way to start your day than spending time in God's Word and in prayer. Don't know where to start? 
we have a free daily prayer podcast created to help you do just that. The Your Daily Prayer podcast delivers a thoughtful devotional and timely prayer to you seven days a week. Gain inspiration, faith, and encouragement with daily messages in 10 minutes or less. To start listening now, search Your Daily Prayer on your favorite podcast app or visit lifeaudio.com. I'm Alan Jackson, and I have the privilege of joining you each day to open the Word of God and ask for His input. And I'm convinced the challenges we face in today's world are more spiritual than they are political or economic. Exploring God's Word together is refreshing. It equips us for everything that comes our way. Join me, and let's see what God has in store for us today. Tune in to Alan Jackson Ministries for a fresh look at Scripture. Weekdays at 1.30 p.m. here on 99.5 KKLA. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Welcome back to the second half hour of the Apologetics.com radio show. We have been talking about Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. We're on chapter eight. By the way, if you haven't picked up that book, I would encourage you to pick up a copy, read it. You will be blessed and you will be equipped. And we need to be, as I always say, we need to be like the men and women of Issachar uh, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Now it's like, what the West ought to do. You know, we, we need men of Issachar, right? Uh, you'll find that in First Chronicles 12.32. Where are the men of Issachar today, gentlemen? Where are they? <laughs> well, there's not as many as there used to be, that's for sure. But right. uh, I think there's, you know, who knows? Elijah thought he was all alone, and God said, I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee. So there, there you go. There may be more out there that uh, we just need to rally the troops and, right. and go out in faith. I'll also add that I think um, I personally believe that uh, church is good in doing analysis. What we, where we fail is actually to advocate Mm. what we believe yeah. and actualize it That's in actual point. culture in which we live. Yeah. So there are a lot of people, I think, personally in my own life, I can say, I can point to and say that, that yeah, they understand where the culture is. Mm-hmm. We are n- not lacking in discernment, mm-hmm. but we are lacking in how do we actually convert that into practical things. Yeah. You know, yeah. How does that speak into our family life? our community, our nation, yeah. and the world at large. Right, right. And that's where we, exa- that's exactly what Vishal Mangalwadi was saying. Yeah, yep. Soul is what we take care of, and we are good in an- analyzing uh, things around us, but we don't know how to actually disciple the nations. Right, right, right. Talk into them positively. To, yeah. To, the Great to make Commission. make a counterexample. Counter yeah. Well, we want to talk a little bit about um, how pornography leads to objectification of women. And for now, it, it's, it sounds to me like um, the trajectory of Truman's project really lands on this. Uh, so we're in a culture where, and I like this alliteration, right? Porn is the norm. In fact, um, in the book, right, Truman was saying how there are even game shows that uh, the winner of, of, of which would be part of a porn production. And... and <laughs> They, they had contestants, and it's just crazy. Uh, well, it's like, I think there's even Love Island and Big Brother, and there's all these, even The Bachelor and Bachelorette, they, I don't know if the contestants on those shows actually 
have sex with each other. I, I've never watched them, but I do know that there's an edit editing feature that it wants to imply that yeah. it, it seems to imply that. And again, we've, we've taken I, the idea of marriage and we've turned it into a, a competition that has about the same weight as a game of monopoly. So, yeah. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, what are the effects of porn? What are the effects of porn? Well, I mean, one is the person becomes a means to an end. They are not the end themselves in terms of a sexual right. union. They're just means to an end. Um, and as Truman would say, the sexual pleasure in the act of sex is detached from the bodily encounter now. So like you were saying, right, uh, in a Freudian sort of context, it's just pleasure now, kind of like we're just children. We're, ch we're, we're kids. We're immature kids. We just want the thing now. Uh, so what, what, what are the other harmful effects of porn that sometimes culture misses today? Well, anytime you you have immediate gratification be the ultimate goal of um, individuals, and especially in terms of relationships, what happens is the things of value decay. If you don't take care of, and these are again issues that things that parents tell their kids, no, you you can't spoil your dinner. Because if all you do is eat cake and candy, then you're too full to eat the stuff that actually gives you nourishment, and your body will decay. You'll turn fat, lazy, teeth will rot. That's what happens bodily. If you don't take care of your things, you know, uh, if you don't practice, your skills will decay. And if you want pleasure right now, what actually happens is not only do you lose the relationship potential with a spouse— but you also, the, the act of sex itself becomes mundane. And this is why we see over and over again, the stats are very, very clear that once you start imbibing in pornography, it immediately loses its allure and it acts just like a drug where you have to find something new, something different, something unique. And usually it's more extreme and it goes more and more and more extreme because every time it, it wears off and you need the next hit, that next hit has to be bigger and stronger. So just like a drug where you take more and more and more of it as your body adapts, so mentally you have to go for harder and usually more violent. And uh, now you're assuming that what you see on the screen is how real relationships work, that you can, you know, throw women around or choke them or whatever the Whatever crazy, whatever crazy. Fad, and I, it, yeah. I, I know that there are things that I've not even thought about yet that I'm sure have uh, like a fetish following. I have no idea. I don't even want to know them. Right. But uh, that's what happens. Is 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 you can never get that feeling again because you're shooting in the wrong trajectory. It's it's the relational aspect. It's the the selfless act of sex because that should be the, the desire. The ultimate act of selfishness is rape. I mean, mm -hmm. in sex, that's that's how that's what selfish sex is, right? Yeah. That's how you would define it. Right. So why is that the goal in all these other cases? 
Right. And in the scripture, we see that um, there is this aspect of relationality that you mentioned about as being a, a key thing when we understand the image of God on us. Yeah. Even when we read the scripture, we find that Adam knew Eve, right? That's yeah. how we explain. That's a great word. Yeah. That's how we explain the intimacy, which is more physical in that regard, right? So the, by getting into porn and disassociating us, ourselves from the individual, we basically are left with that vacuum that can never be fulfilled, mm. right? We may have the pleasure for the moment, but we are left with that vacuum that brings in more guilt and more shame. And that's not what we are made for. If we are truly to be uh, functioning in the way we are created, that intimacy has to happen at the level in the way it was designed to be, not outside of it. Right, and because we cheapen that, then we inadvertently cheapen humanity. Yeah. in the process. And within yeah. the church, if we see, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to us who might be involved in church leadership and all. We can we can see that a lot of marriages have issues mm. is mm-hmm. because, and one of the key reasons is that, you know, there is no uh, integrity in terms of uh, how husband and wife understand their sexual relationship when they bring in uh, porn or, or anything in between that creates yeah. more tension and chaos. Yeah, he doesn't fulfill my needs, yeah. right? And that and that isn't that the primary excuse for divorce? Yeah, is my needs are no longer being met. My he doesn't he doesn't I don't feel the love that I wanted to feel. It's it, it's all self driven, right? So. And again, that's what Truman says is the triumph of the uh, uh, the self. You know the the triumph of the therapeutic yes it's all about us so when something does not meet our and just to use surrealism language our dreams then something's wrong because <laughs> we ought to be able to fulfill our dreams apparently right um where dreams have no boundaries um, and if we see historically uh, in any culture it's not uh, just western phenom- phenomena but also around the world even in the east um, wherever you have gone outside uh, the sexual relationship outside the bounds of marriage whoever you've had sexual relationship with always be degraded or be put at a lower level right and earlier times in even in polygamy or even in that uh, you would always have one person in the relationship who would have higher status than the other, and the others would be treated in a different way. And I think that gradation is not allowed for. And that happens only when we go outside the bounds of the marriage. Right. And so, again, with the whole triumph of the therapeutic, uh, we see some trends uh, to support the idea that there are certain porn that might be helpful to a relationship, right? And how, how does that fail? I mean, there's no such thing. Because I, I, I don't know how that'll uh, make that a special category for anyone to consider. I mean, it's like saying a uh, little bit of robbery would be good. Right. To actually help someone, right? right? Um, uh, to help their situation, help sure. their yeah, situation. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a, it's the same logic there, right, right? And isn't it interesting that one of the things that we're doing is we're denying our the way we're actually built. For example, what is the natural end point of the sexual union? It's children. Mm-hmm. 
people have argued that abortion should be legal because, you know, to bring an unwanted child into the world and you're you're infringing upon a woman's right to uh, maybe continue her education or or not have this additional uh, burden placed upon her. But what they're actually saying is, I want actions without consequences. I want to have the action of a sexual union, which we all know can produce children. That's its, that's its function. That's biologically what the sexual union is designed to do, is to create new human beings, create new image bearers. But what we, we want to do is we want to be able to do that without the consequences of that creation. So that's clearly self-centered. That's clearly sinful. And it's no wonder now that children have become an accessory to our lives instead of a function and a focus of our lives. We used to understand that the best blessings that we could have is to create the next generation of individuals who would carry our culture forward. And now what we see is, well, I want a kid to make me self-fulfilled. Yeah. And now kids are seen as liabilities or... And that's you know, why we see yeah. most com most people are only having one. I that's mean, right. you know, we're we're not even we're not even reproducing ourselves enough to sustain our society. Right. Yeah, yeah, we know that's true in certain yeah. countries for sure. Yeah, I think we need to redeem this thing that our sexuality has a telos. Yes, it has a goal and an end to it. Um, at the same time, let me also touch on something. As Christians, we should remember that many times we emphasize on the fact of marriage, but we should be doing it for the right reason as well. Because I see a lot of people they see marriage as a license to do sex because they can't do that before, right? Which in one sense it's is. In one sense it is. It, it is. But if it is merely for that, oh, yeah. there is a problem, yeah. right? So marriage has to be covenantal. Right. So your sexuality is not merely your identity in that regard, right? Sexuality is an important aspect of your life that you have to handle with care and has to be fulfilled within the union that God has established, but towards a telos, towards an end. Right. Right. And that sexuality is the is the fruit yeah. of the of the pledging of one to a, the betterment of the other. Yeah. Right. And that's why sexuality is the fruit, because you've already established that I would give my life for you. Yeah. That we are bonded in sickness and in health, which means that there may be points where that sexual aspect falls by the wayside. Yeah, and doesn't get fulfilled right. uh, b based on your expectations, right? That's right. Yeah. We talked uh, during the break about this <clears throat> kind of like worldview conflict uh, yeah. between pornography and the feminist movement. Because if feminism were a legitimate movement, if they were to act on their feminist ideas, you would think that they would combat pornography. And yet, I think they're in a uh, confusing, I'm calling a confusing conundrum, you know, do they support it or do they detest it? Well, I mean, you, they, one would support, maybe a, a feminist would support it in order to fulfill their, their inner being, right? So they remain true to their self or to the well, that's what man's they believe. Self. That's what yeah. they believe. Right? Yeah, that's what it's. It's almost like that they're playing by a man's playbook. I mean, they, yeah. they've taught that right. modern feminism equals I can do anything a man can do. If a man can be promiscuous, I can be promiscuous too. Now, obviously, as 
those that bear children that become pregnant, it's a different function in different form. Also, the testosterone does have a different motivating factor. We know this to be true uh, biologically. Yeah. But yeah, it's why are are people surprised when we take off all restrictions, when we create co-ed dorms, when we have sex week at Yale, when we say watch more pornography, and then we have the Me Too movement coming around and saying you're being, right. you know, what did you expect would happen? Yeah, right, right. You right. know, if you open the car door and leave the keys in it, and the car door's running in a, you're, yes, people shouldn't drive away with a car, but do you yeah. really think that should we that's be surprised? A, right? Yeah, is that a real surprise that people, some people, are going to do so? What do you think is going to happen? Right. And, and feminist movement has has been. I mean, there is this aspect to it as well that it has been a reaction to oppression of some kind as well. But at the same time, we need to understand that it has in no way some of the the ways things have turned out to be. For example, uh, the whole uh, contraception thing, for example, or abortion. It has empowered the men even more to actually yes. indulge in yeah. sexuality without any consequences. Right, right. Right? So I think it has led to more oppression right. than what it was trying, trying to actually combat. combat so again, earlier. it's a worldview yeah. in conflict right yeah. With itself. It's yeah. not livable. Uh, the other one that I appreciate from Truman is his um, you know, observation that perhaps pornography could lead to lesbianism and... And why again, gentlemen? Why 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 would that let lead to lesbianism? Well, again, Truman, uh, and he doesn't explicitly say this, but he implicitly says it. There's an old saying that men you, um, love women in order to get sex, and women give sex to men in order to get love. And what women are looking for ultimately is an emotional connection and an emotional relationship, and because hooking up, the hookup culture is so commonplace and you don't get that emotional relationship, you know, how can you have an emotional relationship with a one night stand? Right, it's, it's, right. it's really impossible to do. You always feel dirty afterwards, the walk of shame, all of this. So women turn to each other because they are naturally wired to emote one to another. They're, they draw on these emotional closenesses and uh, a lot of them say, well, if I can't find it with men, I'm just going to find it with my women friends. Now that may initially, and especially in college when they're pushing, you know, sexual expressionism, uh, start off with lesbianism in a sexual engagement. But what they've all found is there's a, there's a term what we call lesbian bed death is that when people say, you know, um, how many of your friends, you know, aren't having sex anymore who are lesbian couples. And usually the response is, well, how many are? Because mm. there's nobody that I know of. It, it, it tends to be all about the emotion and not about the act. Mm -hmm. uh, and Lenny, you touched on this also on the other side with homosexuality, it leads to promiscuity. Right. right. With men, it's, it's the yeah. opposite. Men, men tend to be highly promiscuous, even within quote unquote committed homosexual relationships. Some stats have high, have between eight to 12 external hookups, mm. external uh, sexual engagements, even within committed homosexual relationships, so to speak. So uh, wow. because men are driven sexually, if, if they just let their feelings drive them, that's what they're going to look for. Yeah. Here's another worldview in conflict. So 
if pornography is all about the sex act, right, immediate gratification, there's a movement now to have these sex robots. You know, they, I, I think I've seen a documentary on it, and uh, uh, there's a whole, like, factory uh, uh, of these kinds of machines, and I know some of them are, they're, they're big in Japan, yeah. unfortunately. I mean, they're a tech giant, right? And Japan's one of the lowest birth rates that were, I yeah. think it's 1.2. That's right, that's right. It cannot be reversed anymore, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so a- another, again, world in conflict, because we know that it'll fail, uh, and why will it fail? So here, again, here's the detachment, so Pornography encourages or sustains this bodily detachment, and yet, uh, and yet, that's what they're longing for in a sex robot, right? Right. But they're they're never going to get that, right? Your robots can't can't be emotionally engaged. It was interesting. Truman quotes uh, several um, people who've even uh, ex prostitutes and things like that who say it's fascinating yes. that. If, if my clients come back to me, what they want is they want to find out who the real me is. They, yeah. they want to foster an emotional relationship, and they want backstory, and they want details, and they want to be part of your life by understanding who you are. They want narrative. They want, want history. Yeah. So, and, and, of course, a robot has none of that. So a robot would be, a, a, I, I would imagine, some kind of a significant investment, and you're pretty, you know— I, you could write your own backstory, but how fulfilling is that? Because you already know the answers to all the questions you're going to ask it. And so, going back to Genesis again, I'm, I'm going there again, just yeah, like Jesus sure. you're pointing to the yeah. bus. No, good, because so, that's a good segue. We'll talk about what the church can do. So if yeah. you see that when Adam was given the privilege of naming all the animals and everything, he does that. And what we find there, that he didn't find a helper suitable, suitable to him. him. Right? Which Absolutely. will be true even in the case of... Uh, robots or whatever that might be that we might come up with, but our longings will truly be only fulfilled in the partner that God has given us. Uh, The one that we can really know in that intimate relationship. Isn't that fascinating? Robots are actually one step removed even from animals. At least animals have some sentience where they can, they'll do the things that you don't want them to do, right? Mm. Robots don't even have that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, they're going to program that apparently into robots. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, I want to, at, at this point of our show, I, I do want to touch on what the church can do. How can we be counter-revolutionaries in this current sexual revolution? Because it is destroying families, and, yeah. and families, when they are destroyed, it's destroying communities. And when communities are destroyed, it's going to destroy our our city and on outwards, Civilization. Right? And civilization, yeah. ultimately. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think when we... When you hear the expression uh, post-Christian, or we live in a post-Christian culture now, right. I think what brought that on is, uh, again, the pornification of America, really. That's, that's one of the main reasons. It's not so much that we got weak on theology or we got weak on ethics. It's, it's more like we imbibed uh, on these ideas uh, and acted on these ideas, maybe, uh, or maybe these ideas gave us permission uh, to to behave in uh, neurotic ways, right? Well, I, I, and again, pornography has has lost its sense of shame. There are popular television sitcoms where they have entire episodes devoted to the main characters watching hours of pornography, and and, and it's all done for a laugh, right? 
but it's normal. But yeah. the Christian is derided. The Christian is where the shame shows. Oh, you believe that? You're the you're you're the fundamentalist. You're the butt of the jokes of those same sitcoms. So that's where part of our post-Christian culture comes from. I think we need to show again how a sacralization of sex, just like a sacralization of individuals, rises us it's it's more beautiful and and is a more beneficial aspect. I think women would appreciate that message, especially those again who are in the Me Too movement who would say, "Well, wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to specifically spell out don't tell sexually explicit jokes in the workplace? Why? Because civilized individuals don't do that. We used to have a culture that would say that, and we didn't need a Me Too movement, right?" You know, where did that go wrong? Or, you know, how about an idea that children are, you are as valuable because you're a child of your parents and your children should be as valuable because they came from a loving relationship as well. Show the, show the alternative to what's clearly not working. Right. I think uh, Truman kind of touches on this, but uh, on a different topic, but... Um, I think there's a need for us to um, reconnect sexuality with transcendence. Yes. That has to happen. And with goodness, truth, and beauty, how much it conforms with God's order of things, God's order of uh, union between male and female. And that has to be taught. Uh, children need to be taught. Uh, and I think... And taught from the pulpit uh, as well? Uh, yeah. As well, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, I think from the, the pulpit, sure. The church leaders have to take the responsibility. We need to be speaking about this on Christian campuses and... Uh, with young people, you know, they've been, why is it that we are comfortable with them learning about sexuality in school, but not at home and in churches? Yeah. Why is it that? Why? Because we don't consider it to be a, a matter of sanctity. Right. We have to redeem um, the sanctity of sex right. back, right. and we need to honor the Lord through it. Right. And in general, I think we need to teach that uh, delayed gratification is an important aspect of what it means simply to be human. Yeah. And we don't we don't talk about that anymore because all of the richness of what we find is really if in our in our desires delayed for proper context. Yeah. So and also we need to be also careful with our young people, the current generation, I'll be we talking about this, that they are not feeling averse to sexuality either. Yeah. That they're running away from it and not being wanting to be make make commitment in relationships. Uh, that would last forever, you know. So we need to have a good balance in that. That we promote uh, the goodness that is there in sexuality, promoting the telos, uh, so right. what is good in coming together of individuals. And then, it, in terms of Christian education and even just education in general, that happens in the church, that could happen from the pulpit. We need to mention and reverse this I, wrong idea that uh, beauty is now. Uh, attached to pornography or sexuality uh, in, in, the, in that uh, because we see, I'm talking about Christians, that see pornography as evil, which it is, but when they see a beautiful woman, they attach that right away to mm. pornography. So we need to make sure that that is kept separate. And it's, it's hard today because, I, yeah. you know, 
all of the fashion magazines, all of the television ads will take the most stunning women and the way they portray their beauty is usually in a sexually ex- uh, salacious way not necessarily sexually explicit but there's a there's an inference there that that beauty and sexuality are somehow tied t- together and uh, you never see you know beauty as portrayed in a, you know calico f- <laughs> house coat <laughs> or, or something to that effect it, it is it's never it's never with modesty right so. right well, I know our show is drawing to a close, so I am going to just end end it unless you have 10 seconds. Uh, what I was going to say, I believe the men have to lead this as well. Yeah. The men have to lead this. If, if we're going to expect some change, it's the men that need to hear this and they need to act on this on some of the um, good advice we just mentioned. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for for being a part of the show. So you've been listening to apologetics.com radio, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. Our hope is that you've learned some aspect about the Christian worldview that strengthens your faith and make you want to learn more. So special thanks to uh, Jacob and Lenny and uh, our behind the scenes sound engineer. Special thanks to all of our listeners. Until next time, good night. <laughs>